It is good to be here. It is good to gather in God's house with God's people. And just a couple of announcements as we begin, actually a few. Um, no Bible study tonight uh, with Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to the fathers and men in here. Uh, but no Bible study this evening. We will start our Wednesday evening Bible study for the summer uh, this Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. It's a study called Activating God Space. Um, and I'll have handouts for us each week. It'll go about six weeks. It may not be six, con- six consecutive weeks, but it will go for six weeks. And it's a study on how to have gospel conversations, just how to talk to people. Part of it's just learning how to talk to people, um, which I know many of us know how to do, but learning how to talk to people in such a way that we begin to listen and hear some of the questions that they may not ask explicitly but that they are more than likely asking that will give us opportunities to respond with questions and also with the gospel. And so this will be a combination of video and discussion. So um, and each, each week will last about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. So this Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, um, we'll, we'll start out down in the adult Sunday school room. I'll have that door open down there, so if you want to come down the ramp, uh, but uh, we'll start out down there. If we have enough people and we need to, we can move to the fellowship hall. But this Wednesday at six o'clock, um, activating God's space. Uh, Women of the Church Lunch Bunch will be held on June 29th. Uh, you're going to be meeting at the Calico Kitchen in Union. Um, if you want to, you can meet here uh, at the church at 1045 in order to carpool. So that's a week from Tuesday. Uh, down at the Calico Kitchen in Union. Um, And don't forget the church picnic. There's a sign-up sheet out there. We'll probably need to know by next week the number of people that are planning to come so the Crones can plan. Once again, thank you to Doug and Margie for hosting. Um, And uh, uh, so please uh, take a look at that and sign up. And then speaking of sign-up sheets, fair is less than two months away. And so the fair parking sign-up sheet is out there, and so please take opportunity to look at that um, and help us manage the chaos that is fair parking. So anything else? All right, our call to worship today comes from Psalm 51, uh, David's great psalm of penitence after he had been confronted by Nathan with his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. And so we have this reading today from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I will bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Join me in prayer. O righteous and merciful God, we are gathered here today at your call to worship you. We, we are here knowing, realizing that we have sinned against you. And yet you have called us to this place in spite of our sin. You have cleansed those who believe in you. And since you have cleansed us, we can expect to rejoice in the joy and gladness that you and you alone can give. Thank you for bringing us into your presence through our Savior, who taught us how to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth 
as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As David prayed to the Lord, we have an opportunity to sing to the Lord the, his prayer of penitence. So please take Bible songs and turn to number 105, the penitence prayer and confession. Psalm 51 reminds us that our sins are against God and they are known by him. And it also reminds us that God forgives sin. So let us stand and sing Bible song 105, the penitence prayer and confession. be seated. As we go to the Lord and spend some time in silent confession of prayer, I would encourage you to go ahead and turn to Psalm 51. And as we have this time of confession, to prayerfully read and consider David's confession and let it guide your own. So now let us take some time to confess our sins to God. Lift up your heads and hear these words of assurance given to us by David in Psalm 54. 
I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good, for you have delivered me from all my troubles. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Psalms. It is the Psalm 119, beginning in verse 97 through verse 112. And it is a reminder of the goodness of God's law, the goodness of God's word in the midst of trial, in the midst of struggle. So hear these words from our Lord. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to the mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, O Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Now please take some time to to prayerfully consider how you will give and worship God through the tithes and offerings.
Our God and Father above, we do thank you for all that you have given to us. You have given us time, and we are called to use the time for your glory and for your honor. You have given us talents, and we are called to use them to help worship you, to help proclaim you. And you have given us financial resources, and we are called to use them for your glory and for your honor. And so, Lord, through the giving of our tithes and offerings, we seek to do that. We seek to worship you. And we pray that you are glorified. We pray that you are honored by what we give and that you use it for your gospel work. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing and take your hymn book, the Maroon book there before you and turn to hymn number 250. Break thou the bread of life. Jesus said that for life we need to eat the bread that he gives, that he is the bread of the Father. And so let us remain standing and sing and remind ourselves that we will be breaking the bread of life together by singing hymn number 250. Please be seated. One of the ways in which God blesses us through his son is by giving us truth. Jesus is the truth and we proclaim the truth. And the truth we proclaim is summarized in the Apostles' Creed. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. All right, just a couple of prayer updates. Uh, Brian Dodd had a uh, heart cath and a stent earlier this week, so please continue to pray for him. I know he has some other things coming up as well. Um, pray for Kermit and Linda. Kermit spent a couple days in the hospital. He's back home now, uh, but he begins uh, treatment and some other scans and tests for his cancer next week. Um, we do have a praise. Gay Foran, uh, Linda's Linda Moore's sister, is um, uh, she does not have Parkinson's disease, and so they, uh, with the neurological workup she had this past week, um, they've found. I forget exactly what it is that she has, but they've begun treatment for that, and um, there's some good hope in that. So please continue to pray for her, but we do praise God that she doesn't have Parkinson's. Um, a lot of people traveling this week, uh, so please keep them in your prayers. 
Are there any other prayer requests or updates? Right? If not, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, your steadfast love endures forever. What a wonderful truth that oftentimes we take for granted. We think about your steadfast love and we see that it is shown in your faithfulness, your covenant faithfulness to your unfaithful people. Where we turn our backs on those who commit the most minor of infractions against us, you remain faithful to us in the face of cosmic treason. You have worked to establish your covenant relationship with your people, a people that you have called to yourself a people that you have redeemed from slavery to sin, a a people that you have made sons of the sovereign king of the cosmos. You have given us a new heart. You have placed us in the path of righteousness all so that you might be glorified. And we rebel against you, continually seeking our own glory and our own will. Yet you remain faithful to your promise to finish the good work which you have begun within us. Your steadfast love is higher than the highest mountain and deeper than the deepest sea. We cannot exhaust the wells of grace and love that you pour out upon us. We don't understand the depth of our own depravity, and so we don't fully understand the immense greatness that is wrapped up in the phrase, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. We do have a taste of the greatness and depth of the love, so we worship you. We know that we do not deserve any expression of your love, so we praise your holy name for the fact that you pour out your love on us. We deserve your wrath and your judgment, that you shelter us in the shadow of your wings, protecting us from ourselves and from the evil of this world. And the evil of this world constantly seeks to destroy and distract your people. At the call of the enemy, individuals, societies, and governments raise up and commit transgressions against you and against your church. The cultures of this world seek the destruction of the people of God because the cultures of this world hate the Savior that your church proclaims. Remind us in the midst of these attacks that you are sovereign over all these things and that you have triumphed over the wickedness of this world and the wickedness of your enemy. Remind us that when the world threatens us with death, that you are the fountain of life and the source of our security. Remind us that when we see the prosperity of the wicked, that you will judge and that you offer forgiveness and salvation through the cross. Forgive our lack of trust. Forgive our ungodly anger and the worry that comes from watching injustice after injustice go unpunished. Remind us that there is more than what we can see with the human eye. Remind us of the hope that awaits us. Remind us of the glory of having the table prepared by you in the presence of our enemies. Help us bear up as we deal with the hardships and struggles of living in a fallen world. Be with our friends, our brothers and sisters as they struggle with grief and with illness. We praise you that Gay has had a change in diagnosis and that they can move forward now in her treatment in a way that brings the hope of healing. We pray for Kermit and thank you that he is home and recuperating and we pray for his ongoing treatment and that you would work through that and through his body to bring healing to him. We pray for Brian and thank you for the the stent that he has gotten and we pray for his continued treatment for his heart issues. We pray for Derek and for Janie, for Natalie and for Cohen, for for Tommy, for Mike, for Mariana, for Jim. And we ask that you meet each of them in the midst of their struggles with health and with age. We ask that you protect those who are traveling. Give them times of refreshing, times of restoration and of rest. And bring them safely back to us so that we might fellowship together once again. I pray for this church and I ask that you would continue to fill it with your spirit and with people who love you and seek to honor and to glorify you. I pray for those who have not worshipped with us in a time, in a while, and I ask that you would draw them back into your presence to be here, to worship with your people 
in this place. Remind us, Lord, that we will feast one of these days in abundance with you. Keep us from arrogance and from gloating in our status before you. Keep us humble and open to serving our neighbors, even those who transgress against us. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles, take up the scriptures and turn to Proverbs chapter 24. We will look at Proverbs chapter 24, verses 13 through 22. I want to touch on something while you're turning on something that we talked a little bit about last week. We talked about meditation and memorization. And I know anytime we learn a new habit, it can be a difficult, difficult thing to do to try and either renew or learn a new habit. I also learned something else last year that oftentimes these new habits that we seek to learn, it's easier to learn and to be held accountable by doing things together. And so if you are wanting to uh, work toward memorizing scripture, number one, set a goal. Number two, find somebody to memorize with somebody else who is willing to hold you accountable and that will let you hold them accountable as well to the work of memorizing and beginning this process of meditating on Scripture. And I will be willing to be in a relationship like that with you as you seek to memorize and as I seek to memorize as well. Our Scripture today is from Proverbs chapter 24, and we will begin in verse 13. Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, there is a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off. Do not lie and wait like an outlaw against a righteous man's house. Do not raid his dwelling place. For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. But the wicked are brought down by calamity. Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When he stumbles, do not let your heart rejoice. Or the Lord will see and disprove and turn his wrath away from him. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of the wicked. For the evil man has no future hope and the lamp of the wicked will be snuffed out. Fear the Lord and the king, my son, and do not join with the rebellious. For those two will send sudden destruction upon them. And who knows what calamities they can bring. Let us pray. Our great and majestic God, your word, as we have read, is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. As we look at your word today, show us where we are false and help us put those ways aside and walk in your wisdom and righteousness. Show us your glories in this word so that we may worship you in all we do, in all our lives. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In Psalms 35, 36, and 37, we find prayers that David prays as he faces injustice and attacks in this world. And today's passage is very much rooted in those three Psalms, Psalm 35, 36, and 37, as Solomon seeks to apply the lessons that David prayed and wrote about in those three Psalms, seeks to teach them to Rehoboam. And wisdom can help us to see how we act and react in the face of occasional and ongoing injustice. So today, Solomon teaches us the sweetness of wisdom while giving us warnings to the wicked and warnings to the wise. First, the sweetness of wisdom. Solomon opens today's passage with a call to eat honey. Now, can you imagine sitting down with a child as you're trying to teach them how to live and to move and to walk in this world and starting the conversation by saying, here, have a piece of candy. It tastes really good. Well, that's what Solomon does here, but we, we can't take verse 13 apart from verse 14 as we consider Solomon's teaching because he's given us a comparison teaching here. He, he opens up by telling us of the goodness and the sweetness of honey and he goes on in verse 14 to remind us that as good and as sweet as honey are, how much better is the pursuit of wisdom? How much better is the pursuit of knowledge? This call to pursue knowledge is something that Solomon has repeated multiple times to Rehoboam. 
Sometimes it takes us more than once to hear a command before it finally sinks in. And and Solomon knows that in his wisdom and he is constantly reminded Rehoboam to seek wisdom. At times he has compared wisdom to gold and to silver and said that wisdom is far better than gold or silver. At other times he has compared wisdom to precious jewels or to a good woman and told us how much better wisdom is. And so that is the point that we will consider as we look at the sweetness of honey and the sweetness of wisdom. Solomon begins by telling us that honey is good. We should eat it because it is good. Now, I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one, you know, on TV. But I did do a Google search, which is just as good. No, just kidding. I I did do a Google search and I compiled and looked at several articles that talk about the health benefits of honey. Now, I'm not a doctor. And do your own research on these things. But there are studies and evidence that that honey can have benefits to us for our health. Honey may be rich in antioxidants and other compounds that help us to fight disease. When it comes to diabetics, honey may be a less bad sweetener than processed sugar. In some instances, it may help us to lower high blood pressure or lower and reduce the triglycerides and the bad cholesterol in our bodies, it may help us lower risk for heart disease. Studies have shown that honey can suppress coughs in younger children with the caveat that you don't give honey to a child less than one year of age. But how many of you growing up, remember mom, as soon as you come in (coughs) coughing and hacking with a cold, what did your mom give you? A little bit of honey? A little bit of whiskey, a little bit of lemon juice, all mixed up as a cough suppressant. Honey also has antibiotic properties that make it an effective treatment for wounds and in some cases an effective treatment for burns. Honey is good because it has healing and preservative effects. Solomon also goes on to say that eat honey because it is sweet to the taste. Now that's something we don't always appreciate is the sweetness of honey Because we live in a culture where everything is sweetened. If you've ever put aside sugar, processed sugar for a period of time, maybe for health reasons, maybe for blood work coming up or or trying to lose weight, you've, you've put aside sugar for a time and that first hot dog you've ever had after that, have you ever tasted the bun by itself? You know, you could put icing on a hot dog bun and give it to a kid for his birthday. Sometimes they are that sweet. We sweeten everything in our culture. But imagine living in a culture where the only sweetener you had access to was the occasional honey that you would come across. Even as a king, sweetness was rare in food. It was a delicacy. And so Solomon is reminding Rehoboam of the glories of having something sweet every now and then in a world where sweeteners were few and far between. And he says, think about the goodness of honey. Think about the sweetness of honey. And then realize that knowledge, that wisdom is even better, is even sweeter for us. Solomon's argument here is that wisdom is even better than honey because, number one, it secures for us a future hope. As we've studied the book of Proverbs, we've learned about earthly benefits that come through the pursuit and application of wisdom. There are financial benefits to wisdom. There are relational benefits to wisdom. There are prestige benefits to pursuing wisdom. And wisdom will help to secure our future here on this earth. But being rooted in the fear of the Lord, it also secures our eternal future. We've been talking in Sunday school today about Job 28 and his discourse on wisdom in the midst of his friends talking to him. And we are reminded in Job 28 as we have been reminded in Proverbs 1 and in Proverbs 9 and and even throughout the rest of the book of Proverbs, that wisdom is rooted in the fear of the Lord. True wisdom is knowing our status before God and embracing his way of life, his way of reconciliation, his way of restoration. 
And because God is the faithful and unchangeable God, our future hope is eternally secure and will never be cut off. Solomon opens this passage with this call to Rehoboam to pursue wisdom because it is sweet and beneficial. And sometimes we need to be reminded that the pursuit of wisdom is worth it. If you have struggled for any length of time, even the shortest length of time to walk God's ways of wisdom, you know that it can be difficult. As we seek to please God and work out our salvation according to the power of the Holy Spirit, we realize that it takes perseverance and diligence. And this side of heaven, we never get there. But we need to be reminded that there is progress, that there is hope, that as difficult as a struggle is, there is a reward that waits for us on the other side. We pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because we, we want and we desire the sweetness of that future hope, the goodness of the glory that awaits us. And so Solomon reminds us the sweetness, the goodness of wisdom as we seek to walk in the ways of wisdom. But then he also gives us some warnings to the wicked as well as warnings to the wise. First, the warnings to the wicked. After this reminder of the goodness and the sweetness of wisdom, Solomon warns the wicked. First, they are warned not to take advantage of the righteous or the wise. We live in a world, we live in a culture that our assumptions about where we came from, where we originated as a, as a world, as a, as a people, leads us to the belief that might makes right. Wisdom is countercultural to that. Wisdom is rooted in humility. Wisdom is rooted in service. Wisdom is rooted to, in the slow path towards wealth. Wisdom is rooted in the slow path toward relational uh, cohesion and relational unity. Wisdom is rooted in the slow path toward uh, um, glory and sanctification before God. But our world says, if you have the might to take it and to do it, do it because that is right for you. And when the world that says might makes right looks at what they perceive to be the weakness of the way of wisdom, well, they want to exploit what they see as weak to get what they have. And so they will do violence against others, whether verbal violence or actual physical violence. They will do whatever they can to take advantage of the wise that they see to be weak. The wise woman is a generous woman and people will seek to take advantage of that generosity. The wise woman might find her place herself in a place of prominence and people will seek to take advantage of that power that she gained through living a wise life. And Solomon warns his son not to take advantage of the wise and then become one who pursues power through folly. One of the reasons that the righteous woman is that the righteous woman will always find herself restored. It says there that even though, even though he falls seven times, he will get back up. No matter how often the, the person who pursues wisdom stumbles and falls, God will set him or her back up. And this has earthly and end times application as well. God will set us back up here on this earth, but we know that God will one of these days set up that table before us in the presence of our enemies that will never be shaken, that will never be cleared, that will be the eternal feast that our enemies will watch and wish for because the righteous and the wise, even though they fell seven times at the hands of the wicked, were restored to glory and righteousness before God. And another reason that Solomon warns against this is that the punishment will fall upon the wicked. Their own wickedness, we're told in here, will bring them to ruin. For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises, but the wicked are brought down by calamity. The own trouble that they seek to bring against the righteous will come upon them and they will be taken down. And this, this punishment against the wickedness comes from two sources from God and from the king. 
You know, all governments are set up by God. Any government that raises to power, rises to power in our world, does so through the authority and the ordination of God. God has established government for several purposes, and one of them is to restrain sin in God's world. This means that governments are, have the power of the sword to discourage sin in our world. That should be a warning to those who pursue folly that the government will punish them. It should also be a warning to governments as an aside. They have been given that authority. They have been given that responsibility by God and they will be called to account for how they use that authority and for that responsibility. The civil law of Israel does not directly apply to how we govern and police, but it should guide how we apply the moral law in a 21st century context. God gives the government, God gives police powers to government so that they can restrain and punish evil. But it isn't only the earthly authorities that the wicked need fear. God himself will ultimately hold the lives of the wicked in his hand. And he will either bring eternal calamity upon them or by his grace, he may offer them salvation before they come to the point of eternal calamity. As we consider these warnings to the, to the wicked, Solomon also gives warnings to the wise. Now we live in a world where the few foolish seek to abuse the wise. And we have a tendency to fret about the seeming triumph of the folly of the fool. Verse 19, it says, Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future hope and the lamp of the wicked will be snuffed out. Fret is a word that that does mean worry, but it's a worry rooted in anger. When we see injustice in our world, how do we react? Are we so desensitized to it that we see injustice and we're just like, oh, well, oh, hum. Oh, it's boring. Just another act of injustice. You know, God hates injustice. God hates oppression. And so should we. It should lead us to a reaction of anger when we see somebody truly oppressed in our world. When the court system is twisted to make the guilty innocent and to declare the innocent guilty, that should rise up within us. We should have this righteous indignation against the injustices of the world. And that should lead us to godly action. God did something to take care of injustice. God sent his son to suffer injustice so that redemption could be brought and so that a a message of reconciliation should be preached. We should be moved to do something about oppression when we see it and when we can do it. But there's a problem. We live in a world of sinful people. And we may fight this instance of oppression. And we may see victory in this instance of oppression. And then we look up from it in a sense of satisfaction and we see another one. And then another one. And then another one. And another one and another one and another one until we're up to almost seven and a half billion opportunities for for injustice to happen in our world. And we get discouraged. We've always had the poor with us, Jesus said, you will always have the poor until I return. We've always had the oppressed and we always will until he returns. And we can fret in our anger, in our seeming lack of power to do absolutely anything about the injustice we see in our world, we can fret, we can worry, we can despair. And Solomon says, don't do that. Don't fret or be envious of the wicked because God will judge all injustice. He tarries for a time, both Paul and Peter tells us he tarries for a time so that repentance may be had. But there will come a day when he will judge all injustice. So don't 
fret, don't worry, wait and rest in God. That's the point of Psalm 37. David over and over, he even opens with this line, do not fret because of evil men. He expresses his anger, his rage, his sadness against injustice that's perpetrated against him and against others. And then he rests in God. And he says, I know you will handle this and I love you and I trust you. Don't fret because of evil men. On the flip side of not fretting, don't gloat either, Solomon says. Verse 17, do not gloat when your enemy falls. When he stumbles, do not let your heart rejoice. What's the temptation when we fret and despair over the seemingly infinite injustice that we see in our world? When we do see punishment fall upon somebody, our, our temptation is to go, ha, 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 you got what you deserved. Go, God. Do it again. Solomon says, don't gloat when your enemies fall. And he, and he gives this re weird reason why. He said, or the Lord will see and disapprove of your gloating and turn his wrath away from your enemies. But our, our culture loves Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that you may be judged. We don't like the next part of that passage which says, according to the same judgment that you used, you will be judged. Mm -hmm. We talk about not being able to live up to God's standard. We can't even live up to our own. God may not have to judge you and me according to his standard, because once he judges us according to our own standard, we'll fail that as well. And we will condemn ourselves apart from Christ. What Solomon is saying here is when you look at your enemy and he has done horrible things to you and we see an earthly manifestation of God's judgment upon him, our temptation is to say, you got it. You got exactly what you deserved. The problem is it's also exactly what I deserve and you deserve. Because each and every one of us at some point in our life have perpetrated injustice against another person. It might not have made the news. It might not have been important enough or big enough for a protest to happen. But we have thought things or said things or even done things that are unjust to other people. And unless you want God to take that judgment and flip it to you, judging you according to your own standard of right and wrong, your own standard of who deserves to go to hell, don't gloat over the fall of your enemy. Jesus in Luke 19 is on the road to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, the crowds are going to greet him. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are our king. And at the end of that trip is the cross. And as he approaches Jerusalem, he stops and looks over the city and considers what's going to happen. He is going to be betrayed. He is going to be rejected. He is going to be beaten. And the Israelites, the people whom he came to be their Messiah, are going to call for his death and his execution. And he also sees through time another 40 years when the Romans, the same Romans who will crucify him, the same empire that will be used by the Israelites to crucify him, those Romans will be camped around the outside of Jerusalem and it will fall in a horrific way. Does he think, huh, you're going to get what's coming. No, he weeps. For the judgment that comes through rejection of him, he weeps. When we see people who are unjust to us, how do we act? Do we weep when we see them get their justice? We will glorify God for his justice. But glorifying God because he is just 
will not include gloating over the punished. Do we want to see the unjust in hell? Because when we gloat, that's what we say. I would rather you have hell than redemption. You deserve hell, not Jesus. Oftentimes we are tempted to judge people to hell whom God wants to save. And he will use our acts of compassion. He will use our tears over their judgment to judge them or to draw them closer to him. The sweetness of wisdom is understanding the gospel offer to the people, the unjust of this world. I deserve hell. You deserve hell. But God has given us grace. The unjust in this world deserve hell as well. But God hands grace to them through our application of wisdom. Wisdom is sweet. The wicked are warned and the wise are warned. We live in a culture that gloats over its own practice of injustice and rejoices when the wise fall. And we are called to live in this world without becoming like it. Are you compassionate to your enemies? Do you need to repent before God's judgment falls upon you? And do you live in the sweetness of the anticipation of Jesus' return? When we see injustice in this world, it should cause a reaction within us. Just as God gets angry against humans when they sin against each other, we should be angry when humans sin against each other. And that anger and indignation should be tempered with the sweetness of the hope that wisdom gives. The hope comes in knowing that all injustice has been punished, has been defeated in the cross. And yes, while we still wait for it, we will one day see the fullness of that defeat. The hope also comes from knowing that the injustice of the cross has kept us from being judged for the injustices that we perpetrate against others. And the sweetness of wisdom reminds us that we can act with compassion towards those who act unjustly against us. Let us pray. Our holy God and Father, we confess that way too many times we have gloated, we have rejoiced in the punishment of the wicked. Instead of offering them a cup of cool water, instead of offering them the balm of the gospel, we have gloated in their fall. Forgive us, O Lord. Help us to enjoy and to know the sweetness and the goodness of wisdom and to share that sweetness and goodness with those who oh so desperately need it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please take your hymn book, the maroon book there before you, and turn to number 376. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Being near the cross reminds us that all injustice, injustice has been punished, that we are safe and saved in the presence of God. And it reminds us of the gift that has been given to us. So let us stand and sing hymn 376. Jesus, keep me near the cross.
Amen. As you go this week, as you seek to walk this earth, as you seek to apply the lessons that you've learned today, take this with you. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And as we walk this hard road, as we see injustice around us, we cry out, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.